Hi, welcome to the Artist's Creed. My name is Drew Miller. I'm the producer of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network and Steve Guthrie's conversation partner for season two of the Artist's Creed. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we dive into episode two, I just wanted to give a quick recap of what exactly we're doing with the season of the Artist's Creed. And it all started with a series of blog posts that Steve wrote last year throughout the thick of 2020 on the Rabbit Room blog entitled Spirit and Sound. There were six parts to this blog series, and in it, Steve explored the intersections between the sounding world that we live in and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as it is discussed in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds. And those blog posts were just so wonderful that we decided it would be a lot of fun to have extended conversations about each of them, where we can ask all the questions that come up from the posts themselves. And so each episode of this season corresponds to one part of that blog series. So episode two is The Breath Between Us, and it corresponds to the blog post of that same name from 2020. And in this conversation, we really center around this strange phenomenon that we all have walked through as a result of the pandemic, where human breath becomes dangerous and contentious, and the many layers at which that has become true. And uh, we hope that this is meaningful for you and so grateful for your listening. So enjoy. These podcasts are called The Artist's Creed. And so I'm taking my cue from the Nicene Creed. And in particular, with this series, I'm thinking about what's sometimes called the third article of the Creed. That's the part of the Creed that talks about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. So that's kind of the theme for the whole series, um, or the whole season. Um, But with each of these posts, and with each of these episodes, I'm thinking about a a different phrase within that article of the Creed. So um, in the first post, I was just thinking about the Holy Spirit as the giver of life. Mm -hmm. And then as I was on my way to writing uh, the next post, um, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, um, the, uh, the killing of George Floyd took place Mm -hmm. and occupied, of course, everybody's attention um, across the nation and around the world. And so, um, particularly given that, you know, um, I had been talking about the Holy Spirit is the breath of God and the giver of life, Mm -hmm. and that George Floyd's last words were, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It seemed good to kind of pause there a little bit longer and to talk about um, the connection between breath and life, which I'd already mentioned in the first post, but then also the connection between breath and life and voice. Because, of course, immediately after 
the killing of George Floyd. There were protests. And um, the theme of many of those protests was our voices will not be silenced. We will be heard. Um, and speaking truth to power. So um, it, again, was kind of a further indication in our own kind of cultural moment, you know, of this deep connection between breath and life and voice. Yeah. Um, so that's really what what was behind that post and kind of the, the ideas um, that I thought about there had to do with bringing the Holy Spirit into, into conversation with, um, with those events. Yeah. And I remember too, um, as those posts, as you were posting them on the blog, um, first of all, they were just really helpful in the middle of the year. Cause this second one came out in June and you referenced May 25th, um, which mm. was the date that George Floyd was killed. And, um, it's now 2021. Yeah. We have a bit of distance yeah. from not much, not enough, not, <laughs> not enough yeah. distance yet yeah. from 2020. Too soon. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the first week, full week of, of work, at least in January for me. Um, yeah. And when I find myself reflecting back on this blog series, that's the post that I remember is hmm. the breath between us. I realized that as I was reading back through some of these um, it just made the biggest impact on me as a reader and an editor, um, especially the connections between this idea that to be alive is to have a voice, mm-hmm. as well as um, the sense that we are in a time where we are sharing words and ideas and content and right. air quotes, um, but not breath, that right. we're able to express feelings and opinions and ideas, um, but we're not able to be in the presence of one another's breath um, because of COVID. Yeah. And the way that you wove those two uh, realities together uh, just helped me process um, what it meant to be alive in 2020 and yeah. watching all this unfold yeah, it's such um, an interesting thing to think about mm-hmm. when those are kind of, you know, the two big stories of mm-hmm. the year. Um, certainly the two big stories of the first half of the year. Um, and how both were kind of bound up with breath. Yeah. Um, uh, and also the, the ways in which they both touch on, you know, what it means to be together and live together and hear one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I have some questions written down. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to say off the top of my head. <laughs> so I'll just start with uh, the first one and see where it leads us. Yeah. I kind of begin where we were just talking about um, how both the murder of George Floyd and the COVID-19 pandemic are crises of breath. Yeah. In the first case, the breath of life was denied another human being. And in the second case, a viral disease is transmitted through breath and damages the lungs. And so um, one thing that you're doing there is blurring the lines between 
the literal and the metaphorical meaning of breath in a mm. helpful way. Mm-hmm. To live is to breathe. Mm-hmm. And to breathe is to speak, to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so in each of these crises, we're witnessing some version of the deprivation of shared breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are so many layers. Oh, man. Um, even as I say that phrase, the deprivation of shared breath, I have just this kind of intuition, this like felt sense of, of the, the weight of 2020 Mm-hmm. behind me of how it felt to live through the deprivation of shared breath, the, mm-hmm. um, the lack of contact and, uh, and presence, like living in the presence of one another. And so I wondered if we could just spend a couple minutes um, exploring those blurry boundaries between breath, life, voice, speech, um, how that metaphor is also literal and scriptural, yeah. And um, and if we start there, then maybe we can um, see what that means, even for art and um, creativity and and those sorts of things. But just just to kind of explore that language first a little bit more might be helpful. Yeah, and um, even you know, um, in some ways, even talking about blurring the boundary or between metaphorical and literal uses of breath, in some ways it feels like that's not even kind of true to, to scripture. It's not that Hmm. um, in the old Testament, for instance, you know, so the Holy spirit is uh, the Ruach of God and Ruach, you know, is, um, is breath, it's wind, it's spirit it's used in each of those settings mm-hmm. and it's not it it's not so much that the old testament authors are kind of taking this image and borrowing it and applying it to god right. i mean the breath in you is god's spirit in you mm-hmm. you know that that um god is present with us as the giver of life so yeah. as you breathe, you're experiencing this gift, this life that comes from God and can come from nowhere else. There is no other source of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like we kind of, uh, I don't know, tease these things apart in our own minds and then have to kind of knit them back together in a way that they're already mm. kind of like living together Oh wow! Uh, yeah. in, the, in the biblical text. That feels very but, true to yeah. life. <laughs> Um, but maybe one other category. So we've mentioned breath, life, um, voice. And one other category would be presence. Yes. And so um, breath is, so when the Bible talks about God's spirit, Mm -hmm. the Bible is talking about how God is present to us. Mm-hmm. And God is present to us in giving us life, so that the life that we live is the life that's given to us by God. But then also when God speaks, that this is another way of God being present to us. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, our uh, you know our breath is um, one of the ways by which we're we're present to one another, mm-hmm. and. Part of that certainly is is our words. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's not just kind of the lexical content of those words. Yeah. Let's go to Zoom. Let's yeah. move to Zoom. Yeah. I think that's that's where this is headed. Because uh, you're talking about presence. Mm-hmm. So, so my second note in here is about the phenomenon of Zoom, which we, uh, I at least, I'll speak for myself, never thought about Zoom very much as a person no. before 2020 yeah. occurred. And then it haunted my thoughts um, <laughs> much more than yeah. I ever signed up for it to yeah. do. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us are eager to process our experience with Zoom. Yeah. Um, this, this new popular phrase, Zoom fatigue, um, it's just, it's so mysterious and enigmatic and we feel so strange getting off of conference calls. And um, for many of us, this is a new experience. So I'm going to quote you, um, okay. if you don't mind. Oh, please. Um, yeah. Makes so, like my hair stand up on Android. hear other people quoting <laughs> me. <laughs> so the great Steve Grethery wrote in his second post, mm-hmm. um, and I quote, we might consider the Zoom call as a kind of thought experiment in which the metaphor is separated from the object behind and beneath it. The disorientation and dissatisfaction we feel may be some measure of the distance between hearing a voice and hearing a, in quotation marks, voice. Mm. Perhaps it allows us to measure the volume of the empty space that remains when we have separated breath from sound when mere content is distilled from presence. Um, whew, man, I'm realizing as I read that, that it's probably easier to process all those words as you're reading them mm. um, in written form. And so- um, Which is kind of ironic. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very fitting um, because we're talking about content versus presence and breath and speech. So yeah. as a culture, it's it struck me as I read this that it's not just 2020. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, um, a lot of what we experienced in, in that year um, is an outworking of things that have been simmering yeah. for a long time. And, and it occurred to me that we've been separating breath from sound for a long time at yeah. this point, to the point that I now associate words like voice and even word with text more than with a living encounter with another human being. Right. So, given that we're already living in a world like that, how does that alter the experience of being this dust plus breath human being? And how does that change the way that we encounter art even um, when it turns into this content that we engage with through the mediation of screens and in so many virtual um Yeah, Con- art as content that we engage with virtually rather than yeah. encounter. Yeah, you know, and I um, I don't know. I was having lunch with my sons um, just before I came to this, and I was trying to communicate to them um, who have only ever lived in a world of kind of internet, you know, yeah. I was telling them about 
like being in high school, for instance, and hearing about reggae. And so like if you if you live in Pittsburgh, let's say in 1990, okay? And th- like there's no internet, okay? Sure. How do you how do you find out what reggae is? Let's say you've never <laughs> heard it. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't go to the the reggae radio station or right. you don't So what do you do? You know what I mean? And yeah. so I was telling them cuz I um especially as a high school student, you know, I was a musician. Mm-hmm. I read about all kinds of music that I had never heard. Yeah. And so I would save up money and I would go to Tower Records and I would wow. order a record and I would wait for two weeks until it was, you know, delivered. And um, yeah. so I'm not necessarily wishing for those, you know, those good old days, you know, where, I mean, it is cool to be able to hear people talking about, um, whatever, you know, East African music and Google it. And in three, three Spotify seconds, playlist, right? you know, you're listening to it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool, but it is interesting to think about the fact, one of the things that was distinctive about music for most of human history mm-hmm. is that music required physical presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was no way to listen to music apart from the physical presence of a musician. Mm. I mean, that that was the case for like however many thousands of years. The humans, grand majority. <laughs> humans have been making music up until say, I don't know, 1910 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, the, the point is not to um, – aggrandize, lionize, there's some other adjective that I'm looking for that I can't find to make sound wonderful. Sentimentalize. Sentimentalize. There we go. Yeah. Um, You know, how things used to be because there are real advantages, but simply to point out that across human history, one of the functions of human, of, of music is mediating human presence. Hmm. Yeah. And then even if you want to take that a step further, Let's say, okay, so in 1910, 1920, 1930, it becomes possible to listen to music without musicians being physically present. Hmm. Then it's not really until the 1970s that it becomes possible to listen to music without other people listening to the music that you're listening to, right? When Hmm. you start having headphones being widely distributed. And then it's not really until the 80s or 90s when people start having portable headphones or Walkman, yeah. you know, kind of headphones or whatever, that it's possible to kind of have your music sort of moving around the world with you, providing a pri- private soundtrack. Yeah. So there sure. is a huge irony in that this art form, which historically has been used to mediate human presence and um, generate human community yeah. is now primarily used to isolate us from one another. Um, yeah. that, that's probably putting it too strongly, primarily used to isolate us from one another. But right, we, that might not we, be its but we, intention, but it is but an we, outcome. We typically listen to music a in such a way that only we can hear the music hmm. and 
not in the presence of those who make it. I mean, that yeah, that's the vast majority of our musical experience now. Yeah. I'll say here, um, if you who are listening <laughs> to this conversation um, are interested in this discussion about music and the way that we've uh, change the way that we listen to music over the years. There's a blog series on the Rabbit Room called "The Lost Art of Listening," mm-hmm. um, where uh, members of Rabbit Room staff all kind of compared the way that they all listen to music and yeah. uh, and how we each grew up listening to music and how that has shifted over generations and um, how we've discovered new music and how vastly different that experience of discovery has looked yeah. for um, people who. Uh, lived in Pittsburgh in 1990 yeah. <laughs> versus uh, people who have Spotify uh, yeah. readily available. And, um, and it occurs to me as you say that, that uh, you're saying that music performed in the presence of an audience is a way of mediating human presence, right? Um, sure. That, yeah. So if that's the case, then recorded music mediates mediated human presence. Yeah. And then there's another sense in which, you know, the further away you get from the source, it, it, it's hard not to think of it as a um, kind of uh, dilution of the source material uh-huh. um, to the point that a Spotify playlist is exponentially far away from yeah. the music that you're listening to, which is really rather lonely, even as it's yeah. very um, liberating as a listener to yeah. be able to just conjure up reggae <laughs> if right. I want to, you know. Um, but it even occurs to me that with such uh, such access to any music ever at yeah. all times, um, it feels more and more like, I'll speak for myself that I feel like I have a personal obligation, hmm. um, like a moral duty yeah. to be well, not well-read, I guess in this case, but sort of hmm. well-read in the, in the world of music. Yeah. And so if I haven't heard of reggae, if I don't right. like really know that huh. form, I feel like I should because it is a way of knowing my fellow human and yeah. broadening my horizons or whatever. Right. Um, but it's funny that the very tools that allow us to be exposed to so many different kinds of human presence. Yeah. Also vastly distances us from that presence. Right. So to know about all kinds of different traditions of music is great, but we might not know that. I guess the word know there is key. Like what does it mean to know? Right. Um, Does it mean to have heard a couple songs, you know, while doing something else or does it mean to sit down in the presence of another human. Yeah, that's good. And so let's go back to Zoom then. You know, so mm-hmm. this last semester I taught at Belmont and, you know, um, every class, half of my students were in the classroom with me and half were on Zoom. Mm. Some were at home, some were just watching from their dorm room so that we could all, so that the people in the classroom could be distant from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I, I was really grateful for yeah. Zoom, you know? What for I mean? sure. Yeah. And um, even when, when the pandemic started, we started having Zoom calls with Julie's parents, mm. you know, 
I, and we were like, why didn't we do this before? This is awesome. Because <laughs> you know, um, they live in Michigan. It's not like they just live down the road and we could, you know, pop over and see them ordinarily. Hmm. So there is a gift to that. Again, the point yeah. is to recognize um, the double-edgedness hmm. of it. Um, that just as in our Spotify listening, that broadening um, of encounter um, also needs to be counterbalanced with a kind of embodied encounter. Hmm. And I don't know enough, I don't know if if there's a physiological explanation or if it's more mystical than that, but, you know, what, what is lost when I encounter you over Zoom as opposed to, you know, um, in the same physical space? Um, I don't know exactly, but I do want to say that there, real, there is a loss. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of it you could, you could explain physiologically. When you hear me now, and this isn't true of the people who are listening to this, but right now, you are hearing my voice in concert with this space in which we mm. are both sitting. <laughs> and you're hearing my voice, in fact, in concert with all of the resonating services in this room, including your own body. Right. You know, so that we are having together, you know, this, this um, shared not to make this sound too bizarre, but this shared sensual experience. Yeah. You know, that um, our senses are being met in the same way, in the same, in similar ways, in the same space. But that isn't the case if you're listening to me um, over Zoom, where I am in one space and you're in another, and you're not hearing the resonance of my voice in this space we share, but your computer's speaker Right. Projecting sound into this space, you know? Um, yeah. There's a sort of splintering of the original yeah. sounding. And I mean, the window is open in yeah. here for ventilation. Yeah. Um, because if there's anything we've learned from 2020, <laughs> it's yeah. that we should have better ventilation. So we hear cars passing, you know? Um, and, there, and that is a circumstance that is physical and it's also very layered. You know, um, with meaning beyond uh, just how it changes the sound in the room. Absolutely. Um, And there's so many things like that. You know, the fact that you're hearing your family member's voice through your computer speaker in Mm -hmm. your living room um, might just be a logistical fact of reality on the surface. But if you feel an inexplicable sense of grief at that sound of your family member's voice through your computer speaker, it's worth noting that that fact yeah. that physical fact is uh layered with all kinds of other meaning you know yeah. of what it means to have to hear in that way um yeah that's just yeah and then if we could take that back then we're kind of we've kind of journeyed out a little way and now we're mm-hmm. now I'm kind of walking back along the 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 path that we've taken. But then if we go back to George Floyd again, it occurred to Mm me again that, so there's a difference between 
me hearing your voice in person and me hearing a recording of your voice. Hmm. And when I'm hearing Black Lives Matter protesters saying, our voices will be heard, I'm wondering how much of the polarization in our country, and I'm wondering how much of the racial tension in our country arises from not being in one another's presence. Hmm. You know, that when somebody, when a Black Lives Matter protester says, our voices will be heard, and then they say, here's what we want, but they say it to a TV camera. And I don't know, somebody who is not at all sympathetic to that perspective is watching that on their TV in their suburban home in Indiana. It is different than standing with someone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's um, that part of our understanding of one another has to do with one another's presence. And even if I could, you know, the... um, I might have mentioned this in our first podcast. I don't know, but you know the um, the Hebrew word t- to know, mm. um, yada, mm-hmm. um, is used also as a euphemism for sexual intercourse. Right. You know, but this idea is that, but it's not. But the thing is, it's not just a euphemism. Like they were too embarrassed to talk about <laughs> sex, but that yeah. when you encounter another person physically, this yeah. is what you know essential to knowing somebody. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think um, the Zoom moment is valuable in that it reminds us that there are people we haven't listened to, but it's also um, a dangerous moment if we think hmm. that hearing words is the same as hearing a voice. Yeah. You know? We can't afford to think that we therefore know the person um, that we see on TV protesting. Um, This leads very nicely into another one of your quotes. Oh, (laughs) so all of these quotes, by the way, are available on t-shirt through the rabbit room store um, (laughs) or as bumper stickers. Yes. Yes. Um, so there'll be there'll be a link in the podcast where you can click on and order your your yeah. Steve Guthrie quote T-shirt. Yeah, after every moment holy, actually, it's the most purchased <laughs> item in our store. So yeah, uh, they're they're hot. Get them before they go. Yeah. Uh, so your quote is: "I may or may not agree with someone else's analysis of a situation or the yeah. particular remedy they propose, but what I cannot disagree with are their groans." Yeah, and that quote was in dialogue with that scripture about how uh, the spirit intercedes for us in our groaning. And man, like that is an idea that has stuck with me throughout 2020. Again, as I reflect back on these posts, like that's one of Mm -hmm. those um, little nuggets that I keep coming back to is, is that um, there's so much groaning right now. Mm. Um, just yesterday, yeah, the Capitol in D.C. was yeah. um, assaulted, and the groaning that I feel is um, not 
able to be articulated yet. Yeah. And, um, and yet it's the result of the groanings of people that I don't know. Yeah. Um, and the, the grievances that I am unable to understand because I, I don't know so many people and their stories and um, yeah. empathy is very difficult, not just because there's anger getting in the way of empathy, though that's certainly there, but because um, empathy is rendered very difficult when so much of life is virtual. Yeah. Um, and we only know each other in this very limited way. So, and one reason, I mean, an, another consequence of the, of virtual engagement with the world is that um, a mediated voice is one that I can control. Right. I can turn it up. I can turn it oh, down. Man. I can turn it off. Right. Um, right. So. Absolutely. But to get back to groaning, yeah. Um, that feels like something. That feels like something that art is able to accomplish. Um, and as long as there is this isolation that we're sort of swimming through, uh, we do have access to art in various ways, um, even if it is mediated through a screen that yeah. can sort of resensitize us to the groanings of others. And so I wondered if, if you had any thoughts just about how um, arts involving speech and song and, yeah. and that mediation of human presence can move us beyond words and into groaning um, and the ability to share in one another's um, groaning without sort of subjecting it to this laundry list of criteria to make sure that it's legitimate or um, valid groaning. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think each art form, each of the fine arts has its own gifts to bring I mostly know about and write about music. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that music reminds us of is that the meaning of words is not limited to a word's meaning. Hmm. So that there is, um, you know, uh, a huge amount of our conversation, a huge amount of um, what we say, the content is carried by the prosody of our speech, by inflection, by intonation, by pacing, yeah. by tone. Um, and so one of the things I think that music particularly does um, is it. Uh, it embodies ideas, you know, hmm. that, that it, um, when we sing a text, we offer a performance of that text. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, you know, actually, I mean, I find this really fascinating to think about that for much of human history, Scripture has been effectively sung. It's been cantillated. Yeah. So in um, the Old Testament, in a Jewish synagogue setting still mm -hmm. today, there is a cantor mm -hmm. who recites 
scripture in something that is like singing. It's yeah. a, a kind of chanting, yeah. a toned chanting of the text. And in liturgical traditions, so Eastern Orthodox Church and um, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, in monasteries, you know, that scripture is recited um, through cantillation, through song. Yeah. And I think the wisdom behind that is that part of the meaning of scripture is its inflection, is how yeah. it is said. Absolutely. So when we sing a passage of scripture, we're saying, not just here is the idea, but here is how this idea should be performed. Here is the affect. Here is mm. the posture. Here is the mm-hmm. gesture that is appropriate to this idea, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, That's beautiful. And I mean, and just think about the, um, and this is kind of a, a roundabout uh, piece of advice, but <laughs> there's a sort of pragmatic application of this idea mm. when you consider the centuries upon centuries of um, of that happening and the, yeah. the sort of cloud of witnesses that goes before us, the um, the saints who have sung the very psalm that you are singing, the yeah. um, and gosh, if there is a togetherness that is available to us, um, even beyond the physical presence of of other people right now, um, that certainly has to be counted as as a a resource, uh, yeah. just to be able to chant or um, hum or. It might feel a little awkward at first. I, so I lead worship at um, at my church. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, uh, so it's an Anglican church. And so it has a little bit of that. Uh, we kind of joke and say it's Catholic light uh-huh. um, in the sense that it's, <laughs> yeah. it's still high church in, mm-hmm. um, in some ways, liturgically, stylistically. And one of those ways is that we, on occasion, do chant the psalm. Yeah. Um, and that was a new practice to me when I first started attending hmm. and it felt a little awkward to yeah. lead that chant, sure. um, to be in a room with all these people, this, this congregation and say, okay, yeah. here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and everybody is following me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and all we have is an asterisk in yeah. like this one spot of uh-huh. the phrase to let people know <laughs> here. We don't know where or how, yeah. but our inflection is going to change right here. Yeah. But after doing that a little bit, it became so soothing huh. and um, grounding. Yeah. To the point that now, I mean, virtually, sometimes we also chant the psalm, which is really yeah. funny because I'm just sitting here in front of my computer doing that <laughs> by myself, yeah. hoping that someone is also doing it in front of their computers. Yeah. Um, but, but even so, it still has this um, very uh, grounding effect to not mm. just read it in my study time on my phone yeah. or whatever silently, which is kind of how we've been taught to read in this um, world that we live in, but to uh, to chant it and to feel the way that those words mean, not just as concepts, but as an expression and as a movement and as a, mm. a path. And so anyway, 
feel like mm-hmm. I'm kind of um, wandering now, but uh, no, but helpful. the but that's a path that's been tread before. Yeah, by just you know, like if if it could be um, seen as a literal path, it would be uh, just this beautifully worn trail yeah. uh, that countless countless humans have walked before. I love uh, that idea. In I an old, th- old forest, you know. I love to think about that. Um, sometimes when I sing hymns that I know have a hmm. have a history, you know. Yeah. Um, I think about uh, of the Father's love begotten, oh, or um, it's beautiful, or even you know uh, what was I just thinking of? Fairest Lord Jesus. Hmm. Um, you know, just a crusader's hymn. But to think um, that how many generations of people have inhabited these same tones, have mm-hmm. made these same vocal gestures and movements and inflections. It's really cool. And that there's, there's something to be learned by moving in this way, you know? Mm. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah. The muscle memory is its own. Yeah little signposts on the way that this is how it feels to say this word or to um, sing this melody. And yeah, yeah, it goes beyond just knowing a song in the sort of superficial sense of knowing that we're used to, to using that word in, but it goes to knowing in your body and your throat and your mm-hmm. mouth, how it feels to sing. Yeah. Um, and that feels true to my experience when I think about, Growing up in the church, I think, you know, words like um, holiness or alleluia or Mm. um, hopefulness or delight or, I don't know, charged words, theologically charged words took on Mm. their meaning and their resonance, not because somebody, not because I heard a definition of it and and i'm a fan of definitions too i'm a fan of concepts i'm a fan of words i'm not but just that yeah um those took on content as they were performed around me you know and yeah holiness was something what what it meant you know what reverence meant had more to do with kind of this this tone and this atmosphere and um you know, even a, a set of chords on the piano rather than that set of chords on the piano, you know? I mean, sure. Um, yeah. This sounds, yeah, I have some sense now of what we mean by reverence. That's um, gorgeous thoughts. Um, I, I think I really like where we've landed here um, because we've talked so much about um, the way that we humans are able to give one another meaning through music and breath and sound and speech and, and all these things, these well-trod paths. And so we've spent a lot of time in kind of the, like the horizon of um, interrelational meaning making. And your next post in the series is called God in motion part Mm. three. And you spent a lot more time in that post talking about, um, yeah, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit as uh, yeah. a person of God who proceeds and yeah. and get a lot more into um, the divine in that. 
post. So I'm really excited to to move from here to there yeah. in um, episode three of yeah. season two of yeah. The Artist's Creed. Fantastic. So you can uh, put a bookmark in it here and um, carry on next that episode. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Thanks so true. much, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.